All right, by now, guys, you know, I love talking about old wrestling. What you might not know is it's not my real passion. My real passion is helping people save money. My real passion is getting families out of apartments and into houses. My real passion is getting people's finances aligned so they can retire on time. I hated going to Walmart and seeing the greeter being 80 years old. She should not be working. She should be home. Why is she still working? Because she still has a mortgage. I want to help avoid that for you. The other thing I want to help you with, let's make sure your kids don't get saddled with student loans. If you've got a student loan, why did you get one? Maybe because your parents still had a mortgage. I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm being sincere. There's only so much money to go around. What I want to help you do is figure out where you are right now and where you want to be long-term. And I do it at SaveWithConrad.com. I've been doing mortgages for more than 20 years. And during all that time, we've helped tens of thousands of families change their life. I mean, routinely, we're helping our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month, but more importantly, get them out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments. But if you don't think it can happen for you, let me just tell you this. We are not the bank. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. We're going to get you a game plan on how to improve your credit, how to save a little bit of cash and how to get into that dream house. Maybe you're already in the house, but it would be nice if someday we could put a pool in the back or one day we want to upgrade to hardwood floors or remodel the kitchen or get a badass master bathroom. I can help you do all of that with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. Check it out. SaveWithConrad.com, NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And hey, y'all, don't take my word for it. Check us out. We've got an A-plus with the Better Business Bureau. And as if that's not enough, go look at our reviews. Read them and weep, haters. ConradReviews.com. You'll see more than a thousand five-star reviews. Our average review is 4.72 stars. Find out how much money you can save. Take control of your life in 2023 by taking control of your finances. We're going to show you how to keep more of your own money. If you've got credit card debt, what are you paying on that? 14%, 28%, you know you can do better. With the mortgage though, you may not know this, the interest you pay is tax deductible. And we can even show you how to skip your next two house payments. So if you can get a lower monthly payment, pay your debt off faster, get a greater tax deduction at the end of the year. And right now, right after the holidays, skip your next two payments. Buddy, this is the biggest no brainer in the history of the world. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Or hey man, shoot me an email directly. Conrad at savewithconrad.com. February 5th marks the 35th anniversary of one of the most memorable angles in wrestling history. An angle that had Hulk Hogan seeing double. There's two out there! Yes, the famous twin referee angle with brothers Earl and Dave Hepner that took place on the inaugural episode of Main Event with Andre the Giant pinning WWF champion Hulk Hogan. It would also mark Earl Hepner's WWF debut on February 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 35 years to the day, Ad-Free Show's members will get the opportunity to watch back this historic moment live alongside Earl Hefner in our latest premium watch-along event. All $29 level members and higher are invited, and Top Guy members will get to come up and ask Earl questions. Reserve your seat by signing up today at adfreeshows.com. It's 
Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, the hardcore legend, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? I'm doing great. An idea just sprang to mind. Um, it's really important to me. Um, it's become part of uh, Foley is Pod lore that I kept confusing uh, Dave Silva's name, and I kept calling him the same wrong name, Grillo. Long and, enough that we've adopted it. Right. And um, and now if I get it right, which I do I do know the difference, it's kind of a... It's a letdown. It's a letdown. So i just like to point out, uh, there he is right there. There's Conrad. There's Gr- Oh, wait, I got first let me turn this on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. And we're, we are rolling. This is live. We are. And so that's uh, this where Conrad takes up his, his place. And there's... A Grillo's place, which I am now dubbing the Grillo position. Okay. The Grillo position. <laughs> you're not putting this on social media, are you? Well, I, I may be. Oh, you're I? not pajamas. Ah, that's all right. I don't look much better. <laughs> all right, okay. There you go. <laughs> the Grillo position. So this week on Folius Pod, we're going to be discussing your very brief run in the national spotlight in WCW. Uh, you'd been working enhancement matches for the WWF very early on in your career, but you knew your long-term future there wasn't probably all that good. Um, did you ever have an opportunity to work for JCP or, or WCW in the in the late '80s? No, no, I did not. The enhancement matches I did, I think there were five or six of them: uh, British Bulldogs, Killer Bees, Hercules, Kamala. Four. That's. Four. That's all I can think of off the top of my head. Four, four of them, I believe. And uh, then as WWE, you know, they, they had a big, you know, focus on the physical specimens. I knew I was not one of them. I just, I thought that my style was going to be more conducive to hopefully a future in WCW. So I remember like watching New York Knockout, which is a great, great, uh, my, maybe my favorite match of all time. Uh, Flair and Funk, I quit match. Downtown Bruno was one of like six guys in our two bedroom <laughs> apartment. And uh, I was really high on WCW. He was always a WWE guy. And A, I, I liked the product at WCW better at that time. And B, I just didn't think uh, me and WWE, WWF at that time was a fit. Uh, but I was always, uh, I always liked it. I liked the emphasis on in ring uh, performance. And I thought that. If I had any future as far as, you know, making some decent money, it would come at, in DC, at WCW, not WWE. Well, you're in Continental coming off a run at world-class championship wrestling, and you get a phone call from your old pal Shane Douglas. <laughs> and the timing of Shane's call is pretty great, is it not? Can you uh, remind me? You're feuding with Ron Starr, and you're told the company is going to be shutting down. Yeah. So you've got to be thinking, uh, well, if Continental goes under... Where do I go? Where what does that go? mean for me? There were only a few territories. I think I did have the option of going back to world class. Okay. I think I, I, I'd been there nine, ten months. I gave a two, when a guy gives a two month notice because he has a broken wrist that won't heal. Yes. He's a team player, yes. right? You're, you're not saying, all right, I'm getting out of here because you have words with the booker. It's like this wrist won't heal. <laughs> I got right. Cast up my elbow. Uh, I'm gonna have to leave in two months. 
and I did. I fulfilled that. I went out the right way, you know, still to this day, you know, think highly of the people I worked with there. Had a, oh, just a menagerie of great baby faces to work with. Great experience. I probably could have gone back to world class. You wrote uh, in your book, Shane had recently caught on with Turner's World Championship Wrestling, and even though pegged with a ludicrous tag gimmick called the Dynamic Dudes, seemed blissfully happy in his new role. Maybe the hundred grand contract he had signed made him blind to the fact that he had to wear pink trunks and carry a skateboard to the ring with him. I'm sorry, Shane, but when you have a skateboard and don't use it, the fans will in fact know that you don't know how. Just as they caught on to the fact that I couldn't crack my bull whip in Memphis because I never did. Because <laughs> you carry it out there with you. They're used to Dutch mentality. <laughs> and here I come with the bull whip. Here I am. Here I am. So Johnny Ace would ride down the ramp and Shane would carry his. Doesn't take a genius to put two and two together. Like that guy doesn't know how to ride a skateboard. Um, that may be the funniest. The reason I said fill me in is I was just temporarily thinking of the time. Shane was in WWE, oh. and he called up, uh, left a message pretending to be Pat Patterson, that WWF was interested in me, and the first thing I asked my dad, were he, was he messing up his singulars and plurals? Yes. And my dad goes, oh my goodness, his English was terrible. I was like, that's gotta be Pat Patterson. Yes. So I must have called WWE offices half a dozen times. They have no idea what I'm talking about. And when I went back and listened to it, it was just Shane playing a rib. This is Pat Patterson's, uh, every verbal and singular you can mix up, he would. If I'd ever heard that, I never would have reached out to WWE. And I said, "Play Shane Douglas playing the always funny joke of making someone feel like their dreams have come true. <laughs> never ceases to be funny. Talk to me about uh, Johnny Ace. Uh, do you have a good Johnny Ace impression since we're talking about impressions? Everyone's got the same impression. Well, Meg, I don't know if that's going to work this time around. Or he did say when that word got around that I, I just finished talking to Barry Bloom when I went to, uh, made the agreement to go to TNA. And he goes, you probably need to call Vince. And within five minutes, it was Johnny. Hey, it's Johnny. I heard you going. Just want you to know you haven't burned any bridges here. And. Thank you. And the reason they called him John Laryn Laryngitis was because he got hit with a Steve Williams clothesline and it's Adam's apple. So we all found humor in the voice, but it came about because his voice been permanently altered by a clothesline. How about that? Um, you, you mentioned that you were more of a WCW guy at the time, mm -hmm. and I'm sure with the, the prospect of you know, maybe being out of work at Continental or going back to world class, but probably for not very much money, would right. that be fair to say? Mm -hmm. Uh, this is probably like a godsend to get this call from Shane, but are you also wondering, am I going to have to wear pink tights and carry a score, uh, a skateboard or what? Well, well, so Shane, it? he was offering the, an idea. Okay. He wasn't saying they want you. He said, uh, I believe he said, there are some guys here who are familiar with you. You're only four hours away. I think it was in Montgomery, it might be three and a half or yep, so, but definitely right. a drive. And that he just said it would really be helpful to get your face seen. And it turned out to be very uh, prudent advice because that's exactly what happened. People were familiar, and it did result in um, a tryout match two weeks later. Talk to me about that. You know, we've, uh, a lot of us fans have read that sometimes guys just show up to a show looking for work. Mm -hmm. 
And you would hear old timers who maybe had been there before say, well, I'm not doing that. I don't want to be seen as one of those guys. And I even heard Booker T on his podcast, give advice to some of his students before where he said, don't go and do, maybe I'm misquoting this, but the gist was if you're always available to do the WWE enhancement work, they'll never really take you seriously and give you a real shot. So if you're just an extra and I realize the business has changed, yeah. uh, because you did some of that enhancement work early on and it worked out, but there were a lot of years in between. And I, and I only went when I was booked. Right. So I uh, listen, it's out of sight, out of mind. Right. Right. Uh, that not only worked for me in 1989 when I showed up, uh, uninvited to uh, center stage, but it worked for me as well when I went to the Great American Bash in 91 as a fan, sat in the sixth row, and then word got to me. I think Barry Windham somehow got word to me. And Barry, I barely knew Barry, so he wasn't doing this because I was a buddy of his. Barely knew Barry at the time. That sounds like a, yeah. a tongue twister. It is. He said, uh, you might want to go back and you know talk to Dusty. Um, you might even get a job out of it. But I might be confusing that one with when I went to a WCW house show and was talking to Magnum. Uh, but I had made two appearances, and that's about all you should do, I think. I don't think you want to be the guy that's there so much that you become a nuisance. Right, you're in the way. Yeah, instead of a person of interest. But I was really lucky that Corny was there, JR was there, uh, even a guy like Rip Morgan was like, love the elbow. And there were, uh, I was lucky, WC, world class, WCCW did not pay well, but it gave me a great amount of exposure and made me in some sense like a national and even international star because they had that like a, uh, network of I think a hundred syndicated stations, you right. know, they had a good syndicated package. Blue tube. Should we talk? I mean, right as well. Right. <laughs> it seems like a good spot as any, Hey, let me ask you, you know, what's that process look like? I mean, I know that you were fortunate enough that people recognized you and were fans of your work and all that, but it can't just be as simple as, Hey, I'm cactus Jack and Shane Douglas told me to come by. I think it was really. I don't know how I got in the door, but it's been said that if you walk in with, with a bag, confidence. yeah, and a bag and a mask, you can get into any backstage area. Well, yeah, I probably shouldn't speak on that, but if you walk anywhere with confidence, like you're supposed to be there, <laughs> yeah. they're going to let you. It in. helps. It helps literally open some doors. And in this case, it turned out that I, I knew that JR had been a fan of mine. And it was a oh man. It was a major blow when I found out that he was off the booking committee. Right. Because I had heard when I was in world class. I even remember like in a payphone. It's sweltering in the summer there, and I had the cast on, and he said, uh, "Yeah, that they there was some interest in bringing me in." And then Jim left the booking committee, and yeah, that was a definite blow. I leave uh, world class. I go to. Uh, uh, Continental and now the doors are set to shut in a month. So there was some expediency there, but apparently uh, Corny had brought up the idea of putting me and dirty white boy, Tony Anthony together. He said, we'll have a, you know, stuff hanging off you and we'll call you the wild things. Have uh, Brian uh, Hildebrandt, Mark Curtis as our manager, because I, I hadn't done a lot of talking at that point. And that sounded pretty good to me. So, how do you politically, uh, cause again, as fans, we hear 
there's rules and etiquette of the backstage area. You introduce yourself to everyone, you shake everyone's hand, all these sort of things. But at the same time, there is a delicate balance of, hey, these guys are working and I'm just kind of showing up. I don't want to be in the way. I don't want to be too intrusive, blah, 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 blah. How do you get FaceTime with the folks besides just the security guy? Hey, I'm supposed to be. I, I guess my recollection of it is that I was accepted as being one of the boys by virtue of the stuff I'd done in world class that even if someone didn't know me, I'm just speculating that a guy like Rip Rogers would be like, oh, you got to see this guy. I can't yes. do this. You should see this guy work. Shane, you know, had, you know, sung my praises to a handful of people, but I'd say the main, uh, the, the thing I had going for me was that Corny was a big advocate and so was JR. So I don't know if you're going to get to this, but yes. this is something I talked about in uh, on my live shows quite a bit, saying that the first words Jim Ross said to me were, Cactus Jack, are you still alive? Right. And it was like, a, oh, what a setback. I was hoping for more than that. Yes. Because Corny came up as if we were lifelong friends, you know. Oh, Cactus, you know. And, and he, you know, has been a very valuable friend to me for over 30 years. But when JR reemerged, because JR, you know, he is business. Focused. He, we're just in between tape changes. Yes. And when he came back up to me after the show, he wasn't alone. He was with Ric Flair. So... As you know, as story to history, as a checker to past as Rick and I have, Rick was the guy who brought me into WCW. And I mentioned in my first book, I'll always be proud of that. I will always be proud of that. He said, if I can't, you know, he said Jim Ross is really high on me. And if I came back in two weeks, I would have a tryout match. Of course, this conversation happens November 16th, 1989, um, when you first visit Center Stage in Atlanta. You wrote in your book, Center Stage was like a whole new world when I walked mm -hmm. in. Uh, I felt strangely like I had my first day in the WWF locker room back in 1986 as I watched all the big stars walk by. This time, however, some of the people actually knew who I was. Mm -hmm. Love your finish, mate, came a deep voice from a strong New Zealand accent. It was Rip Morgan who expressed his admiration for my flying elbow off the apron. Of course, then you write that you run into Cornette and then the JR circumstance um, you write about the, the comment from flair during those two weeks, I read the Bible and watched the G rated movie, the bear twice. I wanted to get on God's good side. Yeah, I sure did. I visualized my tryout match a thousand times. I was going to come out with all guns blazing and was definitely going to showcase my flying elbow. I even visualized my big promo just in case. I hadn't been given a chance to talk in months, but I knew in my heart that when called upon, I could deliver the goods. Uh, I read the Bible. Yeah. And Look, I I, as I'm thinking that, I'm, I'm thinking people are like, hey, Mick, God doesn't cut deals. Uh, <laughs> I don't think God was on the booking committee for WCW either, but. Didn't hurt. I'll tell no, you that much. No, it didn't hurt. Uh, it didn't hurt. Well, that's a heck of a movie, The Bear, you know. It is a heck I know of a we're, movie. I know we're having a lot of fun, but would you would you classify yourself as a spiritual person? Yeah, I would. Okay. I mean, I, I was uh, ser I was at a crossroads in my life when I was nineteen. Uh, become a man of the cloth, or a professional wrestler. Really? And I would go out on a limb and say I think I've been able to connect in a very strong way with a, uh, you know. You reached more people this way. Yeah, and you know my message I hope is gentle. 
You know, I, I don't think I'm very preachy. Santa but, Claus stuff's really hitting for me now. Yeah, yeah, the Sa- yeah, the Santa, now. yeah, the Santa stuff is uh, very. My Santa is really gentle. You know, yes, he's, he's not overbearing. He's very gentle. He doesn't have all the answers. He's uh, North Pole's a mess without some help. And I think that's. Uh, but when my wife read, um, uh, Christmas Chaos, she said, "You know, you're writing about yourself." What do you mean? And Santa's trying to hold down the fort. Everything that could go wrong is going wrong. He's barely holding it together. And that's kind of, I guess, you know, me as a, as a person. Wow. So, yeah, I think I'm spiritual and re- uh, religious. Not overly so, but. Sure. Yeah, I think. You would write, uh, when the taping was over, I was approached by Sullivan and Flair. Sullivan was not shy about his high ambitions for me, and Flair seemed impressed, if slightly stoic. So it wasn't. So it wasn't Jr. who came back up. It oh, was no, Jr. and Kevin. No, originally it was Cornette and Ross. Okay. Uh, but I'm saying this is after you've had the match. Oh, after I've had the match. Okay. Yes. So the, we, we've talked about that story before. With the Steiners, right. It, it happened um, November 28th, 1989. It would air on December 16th. This is when you hit that famous elbow smash on your partner, Rick Fargo, after mm-hmm. the losing effort. But when that taping is over, so you finally mm-hmm. fulfilled this goal of getting a tryout, essentially, with mm-hmm. WCW. Um, quote, we're going to put you on the road in about a month, Flair informed me. In the meantime, we'd like for you to make our next TV tapings in the Carolinas. I'm not sure what you'll be making, but it'll probably be in the neighborhood of a grand a week. I can't guarantee that but I can guarantee that you'll be making a comfortable living Mm -hmm. comfortable. My ass at a grand a week, I would be rich. (laughs) That was, was that a multiple of what you're making? Yeah, I was, I was pulling down 300 a week in continental and I was working on a regular basis, three times a show. Wow. I was working in a singles, a tag team and a battle Royal at every house show. And then I was, you know, wrestling on the TVs as well. At this point, you're with Colette? No, this is about uh, seven months before I meet Colette. Okay. Uh, when I returned to Montgomery, I worked my last few shows for Continental and then loaded up my Plymouth for my venture into the Carolinas, which would be more or less halfway to East Setauket. Well, that's an interesting. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Uh, people don't know the Native American influence on Long Island. It's known as the 13 tribes of the Palmanoc. I didn't know that. So you look at the Kutchogs, Massapequas, Manhasset, I think, is where uh, Taz is from, Setauket, Nisiquag, I mean, uh, uh, Shinnecock. There's yeah, there's wow. a lot of history there. With a friend's wedding coming up to be followed by Christmas, I'd be able to relax, rest up, and bask in the glory of $1,000 every week. Uh, so that's kind of a fun note, but I am curious when you go back to Montgomery, do you give some sort of notice or heads up or does everybody know, Hey, since the word's out that we're shutting up shop, we're going to abandon ship. Well, you know, Robert Fuller was a good friend and still is. And, uh, he, he understood completely. Yeah. And I think I told him I was going there and, uh, he was all for it. You know, I mean, I think I fulfilled my last bookings. Yeah. Incontinental, but sure, yeah, the uh, Carolinas were the midway point from Montgomery to Long Island, so I might as well make those shows. And I think you're probably going to get that to this, but the match I did with uh, Nasty Ned Brady, oh, as yeah. my partner, turns out to be the last match I will wrestle with a full smile. 
Lost First, my however, lost my smile that night, Ned Brady. Well, go ahead. Did you did you forfeit a title too? No, I had no oh, title. Maybe later. Uh, first, however, I had chosen Greensboro. But I was tickling the phantom balls. So well, you have I to do that. I was paying tribute to Shawn Michaels. And uh, you can see that phantom ball shirt available now, as you see on your screen. Uh, first, however, I had tickle chosen. Tickle the phantom balls. <laughs> tickle the phantom balls. Here we go. Come on. Keep tickle, it going. Tickle, 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 tickle. Tickle the, the phantom, phantom balls. balls. What are we doing? I love it. <laughs> Guys, by now you've heard about Blue Chew on our program for a long time. Mick and I are big believers in Blue Chew, and we want you to try it. Sincerely, this isn't just for guys who have a problem. This is for guys who are trying to leave a lasting impression, for guys who want to enhance their experience. Think about it as PEDs for your PENIS. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredient as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, y'all, day or night. So plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is simple, guys. It's three steps. Number one, you sign up at BlueChew.com. Number two, you'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, number three, you'll receive your prescription in just a few days. BlueChew's tablets are made here in the USA. They're prepared to ship directly to your door. And by the way, it's in a discreet package, so don't worry about the mailman knowing your business, okay? The best part, it's all done online. That means you get to skip the awkward conversations. You don't even have to go to the doctor's office. There's no waiting in line at the pharmacy. It doesn't get any easier than this. And I've never recommended Blue Chew to someone and they came back and said, it didn't work. Everybody's like, hey man, uh, thanks for the pro tip. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it y'all. Let's have some better sex, shall we? We've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free and use our promo code Foley at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. The promo code is Foley to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. We thank BlueChew for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, you got some shows in Greensboro December 10th, Raleigh, North Carolina on the 11th. Greensboro had been a long-time hotbed for the NWA, but fallen on hard times in previous years. The building was less than a third full, but as usual, WCW shifted the crowd to one side to give the illusion of a full mass, mm-hmm. even with a lot of empty seats. 5,000 fans were more than I'd seen in my last month of Continental Ooh. combined. That's the truth, yeah. Uh, I was scheduled to tag with Nasty Ned Brady, who was one of my all-time favorite underneath wrestlers, against the team of Wildfire, Tommy Rich, and Ranger Ross. This one would actually air December 30th, 1989, on World Championship Wrestling. Uh, talk to me about working in front of 5,000 fans. Are you a little nervous here? It's huge. Well, I'd done a couple of those enhanced matches with WWE in front of 15,000 or so. Um, I was but you're okay. a lot better now. I mean, yeah, you, I'm a lot better. The match I, the singles match I had with Pillman was that the night before? I can't remember. They that was threw, the night after. The night after Nasty Ned. Yes. So they threw me, yeah, I mean, baptism by fire. I've got, I've got a, I think, eight or nine minute singles match with Pillman, where we had a heck of a match. And then Sting came out at the end. I think I refused to leave. Sting bumped me all around. So I'm getting a taste of, like they they acknowledge that I've got something to offer. Uh, they put me in a competitive match with Brian Pillman, who was a huge rising star. Well, before we get to okay. that, because right, that's all flowers all around. Okay. The match Jim Cornette described with you and Nasty Ned Brady against <laughs> Tommy Rich and, and Ranger it's Ross. It's a colorful Plateful of puke? Uh, S to D. Oh. 
Um, the diaper? The, the Something like that. Oh, it's, oh, oh, it, it, but while it was S-ing the D, was it <laughs> simultaneously T-ing the PB? Yes. <laughs> if the match is going to S a D, it might as well T the PBs. I love the Phantom Ball shirt, and we're going to show it again right now. It's uh, putting the Austin 316 thing out to pasture. I yeah. love it. And then... <laughs> Listen, we're gonna so, work, we're gonna work that S to D in a blue so the match itself S to D right well yeah that's what that's the way Cornette described right. it he wrote in your book when his nasty Ned tagged in <laughs> I waited in nervous anticipation for my chance to follow Sullivan's instructions to drop the elbow on nasty Ned brother brother and sure enough Ned fell to the might of Rich and Ross and even though Ned and I had not worked at well as a team. I came in to lend a hand. Look at that, Gordon Soley, the dean of wrestling announcers, pointed out. There's Cactus Jack helping his partner up. Oh, no, he's not. Russian leg sweep? Uh, as soon as Ned got to his feet, I put my arm around him, delivered a quick Russian leg sweep, Boom. sent us both down backwards to the canvas, and from there I proceeded to put the boots to poor Ned and sent him up against the rope for the Cactus clothesline that sent us both tumbling over the top rope. Ned hit the floor and rolled into a perfect yeah. position I didn't even need to move him or slam him. I sailed off the boards covering the Greensboro hockey ice and hit a perfect 10-foot elbow. Oh, yeah. When I looked up at the camera, I was it was pointing right in my face, and for some reason, Love Shack, the B-52 uh, yeah. song, came into my head. And for a reason still unknown to me, I look up at the camera with my fingers pointed like pistols and recited, Bang, bang, bang. On the door, baby. You can actually hear me saying, on the door, baby. So it wasn't a quick bang, bang. It was bang, bang, bang. On the door, baby. Have no idea where it came from. It was just one of those things. And when I say Ned was, and Ned's probably listening to the show, right? Uh, I've seen Shout Ned. Shout out to there. Ned. Shout out to Ned. And I think when I was inducted into the uh, Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, just, uh, I think that was like, uh, two or th three years after my WWE induction, I didn't want to do the same type of speech, so I wrote it out in verse. It was, the idea was A to Z, all the, the idea, it, I've been helped out by yes. A to Z of wrestling, from Abdullah to Zabisco. And when it came to either N or F, Frogman LeBlanc, and I think Nasty Ned may have been there, or I included him, Frogman LeBlanc, Nasty Ned, you're the reason I'm standing here today. I've never seen an elbow drop that worked in MMA. Oh, so wow. acknowledging that we all had, we need those people to make us look good. And Ned had great facial expressions. He was just such a magnificent loser, if that makes sense. Yes. And like I said, now he takes the clothesline, he rolls into perfect position. So he's about 11, 12 feet away. Boom, I hit that thing on the hockey arena floor come up with the catchphrase that would tide me over for many years. Um, Talk to me about that. How does it stick around? A lot of times people say things as a one-off and it's just gone. This one sticks around. Is it something that they, they pushed or promoted on TV? Someone in the back saw it, someone in production saw it, or you just liked it? I liked it, but it was also in 91 where Dusty talked to me about it, how much he liked it and to emphasize it even more. So somewhere in that 15 month period, you know, I, I had been utilizing it. It was alive, but Dusty really urged me to, you know, push it to the forefront. 
So it was never an intentional part of your repertoire. Well, once I did, once I did that, I have to go back and see how often I used the bang bang. I think yeah. I did, and I want to mention also while you're talking about uh, Gordon Soley and Jim Ross, that I was really lucky that the announcing team they they were interested in my character. Yes, it was a character that was easy to work with from an announcing perspective. So up and down the line, I had. Uh, JR, of course, is, you know, with all due respect to Gordon, JR is the best. The best we've of all ever time. Seen. He will graciously say that we're all playing for a second place and give the Dean the nod, but JR is the best there's ever been. Um, Who would you put on your Mount Rushmore? A wrestling announcer. So JR, oh, Gordon Soul. I would have Lance Russell up there. I was going to say, he's I love be Lance there. Russell. This is as, you know, the. Uh, uh, the primary announcers, the color guys, are so much more right. plentiful, plentiful. Um, but I would say uh, Jr., Gordon, uh, Lance. Lance. One more. This is where it gets tough. Vince. Oh wow! Love the over. I thought maybe Michael Cole, maybe Tony Schiavone. I I thought maybe uh, Bob Cottle. No, and those guys were fence. all really good. Vince was that hyperbole man. Yeah, go under the canvas. Oh, what a maneuver! And with what a maneuver. Yes, there's a whole lot less learning that needs to take place. That's exactly right, Jr. <laughs> Tony Schiavone's got that down pat, by the way. The next night, you worked that awesome match you were bragging about with Brian Pillman. This time at the famed Dorton Arena in Raleigh. Yeah. It's your first singles match with a talented young wrestler on the rise named Flying Brian Pillman. You go full tilt, eight minutes with Brian, and you write, We turned out a match that was excellent in quality and intensity. Terry Funk was doing the color commentary on the show, and if you listen closely, you can hear the Funkers' admiration shining through. Is this one of the first times you would have met Terry? Yeah, yeah. I think I saw him backstage. Uh, maybe the, the night before, but he did the Saturday night show or Saturday after with uh, Chris Cruz, yep. and I thought they were a really good team. And going, I just want to acknowledge when I talk about the color people that uh, gave, Kevin Sullivan was really interesting in that he was such a character, but when he was doing color, he kind of put that on the back burner and he got the matches over. Yes. Uh, Teddy Long was good. Michael Hayes was good. I'm talking about people specifically putting over my character, but in general, they were all good. And I had, I so I had JR, I had Shivani, where Shivani came back in, I yeah. think, uh, a year later. But I had all these people who took a definite interest in my character, and that even extended to guys like Bob Spence, who wrote for PWI in an era when they made up the stories. But the articles were really good, and I was either—I mean, I was lucky in that the character worked, and that people took an interest in it, and allowed them, you know, to have some fun in a way that uh, it was like they believed in the character; they didn't have to hyperbolize. I want to talk about Terry Funk, but first I want to touch on the PWI thing because, as you said, a lot of times those quote-unquote after mags, they would, wink, wink, work an interview. So they just create a false conversation and attribute quotes to mm -hmm. you that you never said. Right. Um, I'm curious, did that ever, was there ever anything that was written that annoyed you that thought, oh, I would never say that, my character would never do yeah, that? Yeah, I think there was a WCW interview where everything, I, I, whoever was doing the interview, and I hope I don't hurt anyone's feelings, was writing it out. It, 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 for all I know, it could have been me 
feeding into something that wasn't a complete work, if that makes sense. But yes. regardless, there was an interview where I was like, these are some really lame answers. Yeah. These are some really lame answers. I, I just, for example, I remember, uh, I don't know if it was Bill Apt or someone else, had me like uh, at an airport and they were like taking photos of me as I came out on the actual, uh, <laughs> the actual luggage carousel. And it was like, I looked at it, I was like, that's not really where I want the character to be. Or I think there was a uh, maybe a Napolitano magazine or maybe an actor where they had a photo of me in an abandoned cabin. They called it the Jack Shack, like where I lived like by myself. Like, So there was that tendency, maybe there was even one with me with a little hay and to make it like um, a countryfied right. or, or redneck character, which is not what no. it turned out to be, but you're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what hits. And luckily, a lot of it stuck. You spend a lot of time at the Jack Shack? It was the only time I ever. We, uh, we need a Jack Shack t-shirt. No, we don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> Phantom balls is enough, no yeah, Jack Shack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, you were a mystery in your house, but before you had a house, unfortunately, you lived in a shack. <laughs> Jack, yeah, the Jack Shack. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was the. I just think it has. You like love shack better than Jack Shack. It's a thinly veiled reference to other things. Yeah, yeah, and I don't want to go there at this. Point no, in my no. Life, yeah. Well, listen, I don't mean to rub or tug our conversation, <laughs> but I do want to ask about Terry because I'm sure. <laughs> I thought you were going to go into a blue chew ad. For no, sure. no. You know, listen. There's a lot of false finishes with these blue chew spots. You got to work up to them, Daddy. Okay, all right. Uh, how big of how exciting is it for you to sit down and watch your match on TV and it's a nationally syndicated program and here really your wrestling idol Terry Funk you can hear the love and affection of what you're doing coming through did you just think in that moment I've made it I felt like I was on my way yeah I really was so probably going to get into the fact that one day later I'm in the emergency room of a hospital, right? Are we going to cover that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely felt like uh, that that match with Pillman and the idea that uh, Corny and Sullivan had come up together uh, where they, they were given free reign over the losers of the match. Nobody, Jim Hurd didn't think there was anything to be said for... Uh, uh, someone losing a match. An enhancement talent. Yeah, enhancement talent. And yet they came up with this really brilliant way of pushing enhancement talent uh, and getting over while not going over that I can't believe hasn't been duplicated. It's been 34 years, 33 plus years. It's like that's a great way to get somebody over. And if somebody out there goes, didn't Foley do that in 89? It's like, so what? Yeah. So what? It's it's really it was a fun way. It got to be something that the audience looked forward to, and even last night uh, when I was watching. Uh, oh, now we're taping this uh, about eight days after the 30th anniversary of uh, uh, Raw. We saw Mike Rotunda, and I was like, "Kids, I'm so old that I worked a program with Mike because he he kind of was in the no he was kind of in nowhere land after the uh, Varsity Club right. broke up." He was Captain Mike Rotundo, but now uh, there was no St- Steiner had gone off as They're a single. Yeah, Doctor Death, Steve Williams was working back in Japan exclusively at that time, and uh, he has a match that doesn't work out. 
He's asked if he would team up with Cactus Jack. He says, yeah, I'll take. And so now I'm in a position where I'm not just beating up on Nasty Ned or beating up on um, uh, Rick Fargo, but I'm beating up on Mike Rotunda. A television wrestler. Right? And so that results in our first singles match. And uh, I, I, and this is where I, I, I put over Michael Hayes. So I always thought, obviously, Hayes has been in WWE forever because yeah. he's got a great, great creative mind. But even when I started beating up on Rotundo, Michael Hayes is covering for me going, he probably just wants to go over reports, look at documents. <laughs> well, I'm throwing him outside the ring. And I get the chance now to have a TV match with a, a pushed TV wrestler. And I have my first real program. We're opening the shows, but we're having good 10-minute matches across the country. And this invites, as we talked about a few weeks ago, this leads, uh, gives way to Abdullah coming in, Sullivan. I mean, the Buzz uh, Sawyer thing was short-lived because he broke his wrist in the most graphic way possible on live TV. But it, uh, it, I think after that set of tapings, with Nasty Ned and Brian Pillman, it really opens people's eyes to the possibilities. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you, you broke down there the enhancement talent piece. And I feel like the, the phrase enhancement talent was probably invented after 1989. They called them job guys. Right. But even then, I remember Ric Flair as the booker would call, he would never use that term. He would call them the guys who do the favors. Like he had a few different ways, but it was clear. Some guys would say carpenters, and there's lots of other yeah. phrases. Because these are guys who are there specifically to make you look good. Yes. And I tell you, job guys a little. Uh, you don't want to be rude. Yeah, you don't want to be rude. I mean, they're there to do a job, and you know, and we've all had fun with the plays on words. You know. When do you remember that narrative changing, where it became almost taboo to say? Jobber or job guys. Somewhere around there. Okay. Ninety ninety one is when I I and then you could take a lot more pride in being yes. that guy. Yes. You know? Um, because I mean going back to ninety, you know, when people would say, oh, Cactus Jack's my favorite jobber, that was something I took offense to. And now you can tell I, I'm really proud of the jobs I did and the people yeah. I put over. But at that time to be called a jobber was derogatory. Yeah. So I think, yeah, uh, underneath talent, even that is not as good as... It feels like a qualifier that's unnecessary. Yeah. You know, like, um, she looks... She, she's very attractive for her age. Yeah. It's an unnecessary qualifier. Right, right. Where she's an attractive woman is sufficient. Um, let's talk about this Brian Pillman match. I lost the contest but refused to leave the ring, but was still there when Sting came out for his match. Being the hero to the little stingers that he was... Sting didn't take kindly to my poor show of sportsmanship and proceeded to beat me up all around ringside, including giving me a backdrop over the guardrail that had the Dorton Arena fans ooing in unison. Despite the fact that I had been both beaten and beaten up, I was on cloud nine when I got back to the dressing room because I knew that I had done well. This is unusual to see a guy who's really new working up and brushing up against the top guy. I mean, yeah. Sting in 1989 had not yet won the world title, but you got to think he's at the he's on the the A side. Mm -hmm. He's he's at the top of the list of the babyface side of this thing. And for you to have that vote of confidence right away and whoever made that decision 
that's got to make you feel like this is home, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like I had a, a good future there. Rick had told me I'd be making that comfortable living, and he was he, he wasn't a thousand. It's fifteen hundred dollars a week. It's a five hundred percent raise from what I was making in Continental, and I was really happy there. I mean, I had six months there, and I was really happy. And uh, again, without Corny and uh, Sullivan getting together and putting this uh, idea together, none of it happens, you know? Otherwise, I'm just a guy who loses, who gets a nod of approval from the veterans, and instead, they were able to make me a, a little little mini star in that company. A few minutes later, Sullivan, Funk, and others were congratulating you, and Kevin walks up to you as you're dressing and sits down to talk and says, brother, I'm going to make it my goal to come up with as much weird shit as possible for you to do. And you would write in your book, he proved to be true to his word in that regard. And we're going to talk about that. But you mentioned that after this performance, Buzz Sawyer is congratulating you on the match. And you would write, unfortunately, it was probably the only time Buzz was ever nice to me. But yeah. hey, that was one more time than most of the young guys got. Yeah. Um, Buzz Sawyer is not maybe the Undertaker's favorite wrestler ever either. No, no. Uh, what was your experience like with Buzz? Well, I only knew him for a few weeks. Um, and he's not here. Great worker. But he, after that time when he was complimentary, I think um, one or two weeks later, uh, he asked me for a ride. Rare that I would be renting a car because I usually hopped in with other people. And uh, he and I and maybe one other people had a nice ride talking the whole time. And then we get to the match with me, him, and Kevin. He just would not tag me in. And then afterwards, browbeat me for stuff that I knew I had not done. And now I think Buzz, you know, was a user of, and uh, you know, substances. And I think they led directly to his death. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I remember Corny telling me I might have a problem there with Buzz. And then he broke his wrist, like I said, a compound fracture on, uh, he was doing the splash off the top, came down with his fist and just broke his wrist basically in half. And mm. that was, you know, the last I saw a buzz. Um, oh, man, you know, I'm just, I just, I believe you should treat people the way you want to be treated. Absolutely. And um, I, I, you know, I, I had my eyes and ears open. I took note of the people who treated me well, the people who didn't treat me well. It wasn't like I want to get revenge on those guys, but I just thought, like, I want to, I want to make people feel the way that Ivan Koloff made yes. me feel. I want to make people feel good about themselves and raise people up instead of pushing Turn them down. down. Yeah. Okay, guys, let's talk about something that Mick Foley and I have in common besides our love of wrestling. It's our love of athletic greens. Both Mick and I start our day every day with AG1. Now, I got to admit, I was actually using AG1 years before they were a sponsor. My wife did a research. She found it, and our family has been using it since 2020. And it's for you if you're looking for better gut health. Maybe you don't feel like you have time, and maybe you want a supplement that actually tastes good. Maybe you want more energy. Maybe you want to optimize your immune system. Well, with one delicious of AG1, you're doing it. Every single day, you're getting 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, everything you need to start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, your aging, all of your things. It's also lifestyle-friendly. 
Whether you're trying to eat keto in this new year or paleo or vegan, it's also dairy-free and gluten-free. By the way, AG1 has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals. As a matter of fact, no artificial anything, and it still tastes good. What you'll notice is that AG1 helps support better sleep quality and recovery, better mental clarity and alertness. And we like to think of it as like your all-in-one nutritional insurance. Now, Mick and I believe in it, but you don't have to take our word for it. Check out their reviews, man. What you'll find is that Athletic Greens has more than 7,000 five-star reviews. Really think about that. When's the last time you left a review for anything? So for 7,000 individual folks to go out of their way to A, leave a review, and B, bring it in at five stars. Come on. Right now, Mick and I want you to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water, y'all. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Foley. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Foley to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athleticgreens.com forward slash Foley. Well, that night, uh, it's no longer all smiles. You have a pretty rough traffic situation. Do you want to share that story? I do, yeah. I make it to my house, and the very next night, uh, we're going out. It's it's not so much a bachelor party as it is uh, the night before uh, a friend's wedding. Um, uh, The McNamara's. Uh, Gene is one of my good friends from high school. We're going out. We're celebrating. And uh, we get hit, we're in a head-on accident with somebody who's been drinking. And uh, yeah, it, 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 fortunately it didn't work out worse, but the uh, situation seemed really dire. Where I come to, um, I'm in the back seat of the car. So as the car hits us, I don't have a seatbelt on in the back. And my head goes flying forward and I lose my teeth, I think on the gear shifter. So that would be the front teeth. and. Um, it takes me a while. I'm trying to revive my buddies, and they're out. I don't even know if they're alive. I'd like to be able to say I performed CPR, but I didn't. But what I did do is I got out, and I flagged down a, a car that took me to a local bar where I, I made a 911 call. He drive, The same guy drives me back, and I get out of the car, and I... <laughs> I attempt to walk into the ambulance. They said, what are you doing? I said, I think I belong in there. And then the guy sees the blood that's just (laughs) pulsating and squirting out of my shin. And then when I get in there, it's just throwing spatter. You know, with every heartbeat, out goes the blood. And uh, I knew I was in some trouble when I saw my buddy getting stitched. He had this hideous wound. And I went, oh my God. And the nurse said, yours is twice that bad. And so it was, uh, where is this, it's a hundred and, this one I think, which one is it? Yeah, it was a hundred, I think it was 85 or 89 stitches and a big hole right there in the middle. And uh, it looked, I mean, my thought was, this is going to ruin your career, my career. You know, my mom and dad came in to see me. Uh, I had to have my clothes cut off me. It looked pretty dire. Uh, my friends came to the hospital and they were trying to cheer me up by telling me this look with the uh, missing teeth was a good one. 
and I'm saying, oh, it's 19, not 1970 anymore. This is a setback. And then just pushing ahead, you know, for when I show up, JR took one look at me. He goes, I like that look. And uh, it just, it, it worked with the character for sure. Is it true that when you're in the hospital, your one of your primary concerns is mom needs to bring a camera? Oh, got to take photos and get them in the magazine. You know, you can't duplicate <laughs> this. I, I think I've looked worse on a couple of occasions after matches, but not much worse because there's just all kinds of stitches below my lip. Uh, I think I had 27 stitches, which would, uh, you know, uh, affect my ability to talk. Yeah. Even to this day, I can feel my tongue, a really thick uh, scar inside my mouth. Uh, and I just had, you know, abrasions and contusions uh, in several parts. And never mind the fact that I could barely move for four or five days. I was so sore from that thing, from that accident. But uh, I did. I didn't miss a match. I made it to tapings two weeks later. Was the lesson from that point forward wear your seatbelt even in the back seat? <sighs> it should have been. Yeah. It should have been. I mean, you don't really often think. I think I'd been leaning forward talking with my buddies when we got oh, hit. Oh, I see. So otherwise, I would have hit the chair in front of me. But this way, bam. Right through. And uh, I think I did find one of the teeth and put them in my pocket. And later on, that would go on to be an angle. I had, it, I had an earring made out of it, which is the thing to do. Of course. Uh, and I lost it. Would later go on to take a couple of my other, the bottom teeth, the undertaker teeth, and make one of them into an earring for Noel. And there's no middle ground when your dad gives you a tooth, a tooth on an earring. Normally, right? she would give him to the tooth fairy. This is a little role <laughs> yeah, reversal a little here. Role reversal, right? Um, where does one go to get an earring made into a tooth? To a jeweler, and uh, you will be met with <laughs> a lot of repulsed looks. I'm sure they're used to working with diamonds or rubies, and now a dude's tooth. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I mean, I was, I, I had my own style. I think I called no it, in a, I had the sleaze cowboy look as a fan in uh, World Class Championship Wrestling called it. So I had the snakeskin boots with the, the, the pointy thing on the toe. I had the snakeskin belt buckle with the alligator claw, a snakeskin belt with the alligator claw buckle. You know, I was wearing jeans at that time and flat, you know, I was, I was experimenting with flannels. <laughs> And, and where else would a sleaze cowboy live but a jack shack? Uh, January 3rd, we show up at center stage. Jim Ross is the first person you see. And just as you said, you wrote in your book, hey, you look great without teeth. It gives you a whole added dimension. Mm -hmm. As it turned out in 1990, I was the guy without teeth. In 94, I became the guy without the ear. And in 96, I became the guy with the leather mask. Before in 1998, I became the guy with the sock. <laughs> so you've always been the guy with or with without something. something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you would also write in your book, all the announcing teams, Ross and Sullivan on Saturday night, Lance and Michael Hayes on pro Cruz and funk on worldwide seem to be getting into cactus shack and their yeah. enthusiasm was contagious. Fans started responding well to my matches. And even though I was a heel, I was being cheered heavily in many of our towns. <laughs> Sullivan, whose abusive manager gimmick has always worked well, saw great potential in our pairing and stepped down from announcing to become an active wrestler and manager. You wrote, Kevin had really gotten into the Cactus Jack character and came up with an idea that I loved and still do. He said, when you go home, I want you to find a book 
and I want you to bring it to the ring and read it before your matches. What kind of book should I bring? A, a thick, thick book, brother. Like an encyclopedia. And, of course, you uh, bring a book and say it's not exactly an encyclopedia. And Kevin took one look at the title. I am in urgent need of advice and began to smile. That's the, the book, book, brother. That's the book. Yeah, I went to a thrift store. I got a, you know, one of the books. I got like three books. One of them, How to Give Yourself Relief from Pain with the Touch of a Finger. And Corny had some fun with that. But the main one was a tattered copy of this young adult. Not, and I say young adult. I don't mean adult, but like yes. a, a fiction. I am in urgent need of advice. Yeah, yeah. That was, it was just outside the box thinking. Fun. It was fun. Sullivan, when our tag matches, he would go over for the t tag, and I'd be caught up in reading the book, and he browbeat me and slapped me around. And it was it was getting over, especially in the northeastern towns, where the babyface reaction was coming in the northeastern towns, uh, a little bit of the Midwest. So the South was definitely babyface territory. Yes, definitely traditional babyface territory. Territory, but they liked they liked the heels, uh, especially heels caught their eye. Uh, in the Northeast, which was always a lot of fun. Uh, Kevin Sullivan and his approach to wrestling, did it just, were you guys in lockstep with the way you saw wrestling? Man, yeah. Ke well, now keep in mind, Kevin had gotten that just scorching heat, real heat. In Florida. In Florida. Yeah. And you got you have to be able to back that up with a willingness to fight for your life, you know, in some of these towns. And Kevin was one of those guys. And I always point out that, for Luna Vachon and Nancy Benoit, like they were part of that too. Yes. You know, like you you had to be able to hold your own and understand that riots were part of, it. Part of what you did, at least the threat of a riot, um, especially in the South, you know. where I, I just ask because I know you like the Madman, you know, the uh, from a horror movie inspiration, you know, type character. Kevin Sullivan was that yeah. in the 70s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it feels as if, you know, maybe you appreciated the style and the range and all that of a, of a Terry Funk, but Kevin Sullivan, man, he had a lot of depth to that character. He had a lot of depth and he was the guy that told me to, you know, when I use the term think outside the box already, but he said, when it comes to your promos, I want you to start thinking outside the box. And he was the first one who told me about, it was at that time a piece of barbed wire under my pillow. He called it Barbie. And then when I had the chance years later, you know, in ECW and then to come in WWE, that's why it had the name Barbie. But how, how important is that to have somebody to emphasize to you to start thinking outside the box? Because the tendency would be to emulate what everyone else do. Do what doing. everyone else does. Do what everyone else is doing. And uh, I had some, I, you know, I'm just really fortunate going back to when I talked about my A disease, uh, that I had so many people willing to go out of their way to help me, even knowing in some cases that by helping me, they were creating competition for themselves down the line. And that's something that uh, Cody Rhodes specifically mentioned, you know, that people would accuse of you know, Dusty of being out for himself. It's like, Dusty created competition for himself with the characters that he created, but he did it because he he wasn't going to create a secondary character because no. he was concerned on staying on top. He was going to create the best character he possibly could. So Kevin, in a sense, was giving birth to someone who could go on to be competition for him, but he did it because when you've got that type of fertile mind, like that's 
part of who you are. But clearly he saw something in you. Yeah. I and mean, I know he liked being an in-ring competitor, but for him to sort of give up a relatively cushy guaranteed deal as an announcer mm-hmm. and say, no, I want to go on the road with this guy. Yeah. And I love what you said about don't do what everybody else does, because especially in the South, I mean, just all of wrestling in that era, there was a sameness to the promos. You're going to look right in the camera. You're going to get loud. Let me tell you one thing and all the same. And, and your voice would go up and down. And sometimes you wouldn't look at the camera and it was all yeah. different. And, uh, without someone giving you a veteran, maybe giving you that idea and endorsement and planting that seed, maybe it all looks a lot different. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. And this goes out again to the A's and Z's and people, I mean, I, you know, like I, I would say in the, uh, again, going back to the live shows and I changed them up. But one of the things I was talking about is like, how did I, how did I get over? Right. Like I didn't have the body and I said, I didn't hunt. I didn't fish. I didn't have a monster truck. I didn't have a cool dog. But despite the fact that I didn't, and I didn't go out drinking with the guys, but despite all those things, which could be seen, you know, if it, you know, you're, you're one of the guys, like, I don't know if I was ever one of the guys in that sense, but that didn't stop people like Corny, uh, people, from, not that Corny was out all the time because Corny is his own unique entity, right? There's never been another Jim Cornette and never will, but all these creative people who you know, found other ways, you know, entertainment and things that were important to them outside of wrestling. I didn't share those, but they saw the passion and they saw that I was an eager learner and they were really, uh, they were really good about uh, helping me. So by now, you know that Mick and I have spent a lot of time talking about some of these death matches and some of these bloody wars that he had, but you probably also know that that blood was intentional. You see, (laughs) He wants to get cut accidentally, but unfortunately, a lot of us do it. If you're using a cheap razor, you're getting those nicks, those cuts, that irritation. And I got to tell you, I got pretty annoyed with that whole subscription razor concept a few years ago. I found they just kept stacking up. What I enjoy most about Henson shaving is that it doesn't feel like a gimmick. It feels old school. Seriously, just the actual blade handle itself. Dude, it's metal. It's not some cheap piece of plastic that's gonna break on you or frustrate you. This is like, I mean, I'm not saying it's gonna last a lifetime, but it feels substantial. It feels like something our grandparents would have used. And at the same time, man, you get a whole pack of these straight razors. Dude, this is old school, but here's what's cool about it. And here's why I believe that you gotta meet Henson Shaving. They're a family owned aerospace parts manufacturer that's made parts for the International Space Station in the Mars Rover. And now they're bringing that same technology and engineering to your shaving experience. You see, I've learned that razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more the wobble. The more the wobble, well, the more nicks, the more cuts, the more scrapes. You see, a bad shave isn't a blade problem, it's an extension problem. So by using aerospace grade CNC machines, Henson makes razors that extend just 0.0013 inches, which is less than the thickness of a human hair. That means a secure and stable blade with a vibration-free shave. It's also got a clog-free design. You see, this razor has built-in channels to evacuate the hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously, Henson Shaving wants the best razor, not the best razor business. Let me explain. There's no plastic. 
There's no subscriptions. There's no proprietary blades. There's no planned obsolescence. The Henson razor works with standard old school dual age blades, but it gives you that, that new age, that new school tech. I mean, dude, these folks have made stuff for space. You darn right. They can make stuff for your face. And once you own a Henson razor, it's only like three to five bucks a year to replace the blades. I'm a big believer in this. I was overwhelmed with the value. Seriously, you're going to get more blades than you can imagine. In my first shave, I have to admit, I was a little intimidated. I haven't worked with a straight razor like this before, but dude, it was easy and I felt like a badass when it was done. I'm going to tell you, the design is incredible. The durability is awesome. It's super affordable. My buddy Cassio Kid came over to watch the Royal Rumble and I had told him about the razor before and I said, hey man, I got to show this to you. And I showed him the blade. I showed him the razor. It's, it's something you got to see. I recommend it. It's the most manly thing you can do today. It's time to say no to subscriptions and say yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com forward slash Foley to pick the razor for you and use code Foley and you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure you add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G.com slash Foley and use the promo code Foley, hensonshaving.com forward slash Foley. Not everybody saw the upside in your character. You would write in your book, Flair had uh, thought over the request for my bigger role in the company, but had responded by asking the booking committee, do you really ever see Cactus Jack wrestling for the world's heavyweight championship? When no one stood up to herald me as the heir apparent, the Cactus Jack discussion was over. And that feels like it's going to become a theme in your career where whether it was Ric Flair Maybe Jim Hurd yeah. or Vince McMahon. People didn't really see it. And you, did you have a chip on your shoulder to prove them wrong that you were more than quote unquote just what they had seen? A little, a little bit. I even go back to when Dennis Brent did a pretty extensive article on me in the WCW magazine. And Jim Hurd said, Why are we giving this type of attention to a job guy? And Dennis was trying to explain to him that I was something more than that. Um, when it comes to, the, the world title, I didn't see myself winning the world title. Right. I did by, see myself as being a potential threat to the world title. And at that stage in my career, I was more than, I mean, you need a good undercard. Yes. With all, we talked, how many shows did we just list? We just listed Saturday night, right? We, we listed the, the main thing that uh, J- Jim Ross, there were four different announcing teams, right? Yes, yes. Four different shows. There's room on that card not everybody has to be a veritable threat for the the world title. Yeah, and I I like to say you know I, I'll tell you what. Um, oh man, how can I not remember this name? In the world, oh Frank Dusick, you know when I, I gave my notice there with the two months because of the uh, uh, the broken wrist, he goes, "Do you really want to leave?" And I said, "I feel like I need to because I wasn't just taking time off to come back. I was going to go elsewhere. I was going to go to Continental." He goes. You've got a home here. People like you. He said, you're never going to be a top guy. He said, you're going to be top of the bottom, bottom of the top. You're never going to be a top guy. So when I saw Frank years later in, in uh, Greensboro, when I was the WWE champion, I said, Frank, do you remember what you told me? And he literally, 
jokingly, but literally got down on his knees and told me he was sorry. And they'd never been so glad to be, be to be wrong, you know? Uh, and so that was great. I'd like to, you could ask Rick, you know, it's like he did pretty well for himself, you know? Well, no doubt. Uh, yeah. Uh, next up, we know it's going to be Clash of the Champions uh, with you and oh, Corpus Christi against no, Mill Maskers. We no. talked about this on our Cornette episode, but uh, you wrote in your book, The Clash at Corpus Christi featured a live band that played during the commercial breaks to entertain the crowd. And when they came back from commercial, I was still at ringside and was uh, being enraged by the lead guitarist, who I guess was supposed to mock me. Wolf Wild, better known as JT Southern, right? He was really an independent uh, wrestler from New Jersey named JT Southern. Southern and I got into it, but the fans were not supposed to know he was a wrestler. So it looked like to most of the viewing population, like I was getting my ass kicked by a musician. After after getting my ass kicked by Mascaris, so do I put in there what uh, Joe Blanchard said after to me? After the show, Joe Blanchard, an old-time wrestler and promoter <laughs> who was in charge of the Texas Ring Crew, offered to take me on as well. Well, you already put over a wrestler and a drummer. I figure you might be willing to put me over too. What a great line. Yeah. Here we go. Oh, man. You know, like big picture thinking. Mill Moscaris, you know, is certifiable legend. But Mill, at a certain point, stopped being interested in the in-ring, you know, the competitiveness of a match. And he wanted, and I guess he'd earned that. He was in his mid-50s, I yeah. think, by that point. Uh, but where I wanted to, the type of match I wanted to have, type of match he wanted to have were completely different. And compounding that uh, issue was the fact that Mill missed his first flight. Right. Literally didn't arrive until 20 minutes before the bell. And I, so I went from thinking I was having a, a, an enhancement match with Rick Fargo, who I'd teamed up with uh, in my first, uh, my tryout match, to... Now the match with Mill is back on, and we have to try to piece something together. Well, and nobody remembers the match. No. Nah. The and they remember both Corny and Jim Ross yes. putting me over yes. so that despite losing twice decisively, somehow I come out with people, came out of that experience with people talking about me. And Corny, as great as JR is, you know, with his immortal calls, I think it's an underrated classic, Cordy. The Cactus Jack is dead. It's tremendous. Nobody could get up after after that, but he's doing it. And uh, I just, I wanted to kick out of a false, I just yeah. wanted a false finish. And I wasn't granted that. I thought the idea of kicking out after the Nestee plunge was, uh, you know, boom, you could hear the thud on the concrete. It looked like I spit out two teeth, but it was actually, you know, spit, you know, but it looked like, uh, it looked like either I was chewing on two uh, perfectly fine chiclets or I just lost two teeth in the process. And uh, I remember trying to bite down on my inner lip as hard as I could to create a little, little color. Wow. And I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Wasn't able to. Two days after the clash, Sullivan Slaughterhouse is born. The group consists of your old pal Buzz Sawyer and uh, Kevin in butcher smocks the smocks would have probably been more imposing if tbs had allowed it to look bloody but coming from a group of so politically correct after they refer to foreign objects as international the objects, objects uh. blood on a smock was just unacceptable as there was something that might be interpreted as blood as was dirt which might be interpreted as something this is where i wish i could go like back blood. in time and open up a dictionary and say it's a word with two different meanings Foreign doesn't have to be your country of origin. It could be uh, whether or not something is 
You Does know, it belong? It belong, yeah, yeah. So anyway, international object. It's a little silly, but uh, the idea that we've got these butcher smocks that are pristine. Uh, it's like, listen, not that I want to make everything uh, a Santa example, but occasionally I would wear my uh, my Santa toy making smock, and you need some paint on that yeah. to show that this is a man who has seen his fair share of wooden uh, train engines, right? And maybe uh, if Santa's just come down the chimney, maybe he has a little soot. Maybe he's got know. a little soot on there. Yeah. So if you're a butcher, you know, I believe you have to have a little... Is it the start of your shift or the end of your shift? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. you're not very imposing with that sparkling white butcher's, no. butcher's mind. Can you imagine if they did the, the Leatherface character, but it was pristine? No, that wouldn't work. <laughs> Uh, the plan ended at the February 1990 pay-per-view Wrestle War Wild Thing mm-hmm. when Buzz suffered a compound fracture of the wrist and never returned to WCW rings. As a result, Kevin and I held down the fort in a somewhat odd feud against Captain Mike, Norman the Lunatic, and Abdullah the Butcher. Is this just, hey, who do we have not doing anything? They brought in Abdullah specifically to feud with us, but right. that's when we were a trio and if I'm not uh, mistaken, that was the same night that Sting tore his patellar tendon, yep. necessitating the quick turn, rapid turn of Lex Luger from uh, babyface to heel to babyface uh, carrying the company. And then he had these world-class matches with flair on a nightly basis. And that's why years ago I wrote that, or maybe three years ago, uh, it's a pretty substantial article called Reexamining Lex Luger where I point to how good Luger was, yes, especially on those house shows. And you could say it's Rick pulling the strings, but I was it there. It takes two. Every night I watched their match. Every night I watched him tear down the house. And it takes two to tango, and Lex was very good. And what a great guy he is now. Yeah, he's uh, very he, humble. If you have an opportunity to meet yeah. Lex at a meet and greet or convention or something like that, go out of your way. Yeah. Uh, Wrestle War 1990s from Greensboro, and you're on pay-per-view in a singles match. You were unfortunately going to lose to Norman the Lunatic in nine minutes and 33 seconds. Meltzer would say, not a lot of heat here except for the big bumps. Norman got a nice crowd reaction when he came out, but they didn't stay into it. Star and a half. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about Norman. Yeah, Norman was over, you know. Uh, do I mention the, the Terry Funk discussion here? No. Do I go into that? No. Because that was the night of Rick's 42nd Oh, birthday. yeah. No, okay, we're getting there. I thought you meant before the match. Yeah, so Rick's. It's Flair's birthday, and I think you were invited by Kevin Sullivan? I think Kevin invited me, yeah. Uh, but as, as far as I understand it, you were not happy with this match. Right. Yeah, I was a little down about it. And Terry sees me, mm-hmm. uh, and he's talking amiably to me. That's where Dennis Brent goes, I think you enjoy Cactus because you see a little bit of yourself in him. And Terry looks at me and goes, I don't see shit in him. So he's joking, but then he gives me a serious talking to in parable form about the devil and the angel and how uh, the, uh, the devil, you know, devil's hated and despised. And he says, don't you understand without me, there is no him. And he said, Norman was that angel. He said, but can you look at yourself and say that you were the devil out there tonight? You know, and he, t- and he said, these bumps are great, but unless you can get some heat, they don't mean what they could. And I, I'm paraphrasing there, but he's essentially telling me I've got to work on the character and I've got to do something, I have to learn to do something that's difficult for me, which is show real aggression. 
because I'm not by nature an aggressive person. But if I wanted all those bumps to mean something, especially as a payoff, you know, when I'm a heel or as a way of building sympathy, when I'm a baby face, I have to be able to shift gears. Didn't you tell us before that The Undertaker pushed aggression with you as well? I think he pushed it with Big Show. Okay. I think by the time Undertaker and I, you know, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say hooked up because I don't want that. Uh, that's, you know, yeah, something the you kids say. Yeah, you worked out at the Jack Shack. That was yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when we, when we uh, competed against, compete each, against other. each other, I don't think that was an issue anymore. Okay. Because I think I'd learned a lot about that, especially in my second run in WCW and in Japan. So I don't think the aggression, I think he was explaining a big show. A big show had to be more aggressive at a certain point. Bam Bam Bigelow gets added to the group. What'd you think of that? Man, I don't think, <sighs> Bam Bam would go on to be almost a household name when he went back to WWE, right? With the Lawrence Taylor. When was the LT match? Do we know? Uh, 1995. 95, okay. So we hadn't seen the best of Bam Bam yet. Uh, otherwise, you know, he's working kind of low on the card by teaming up with me. He All had been in the WWF a few years prior. Yeah. And people and thought with him brushing up with Hogan in like 87, that was going to be something. A few years later, he's here. He's here. Maybe people are looking back saying what could have been. What could have been, but then he went on to have that nice run with WWE and I think the best of Bam Bam is well, the ECW. Stuff, ECW, yeah. where he didn't have as many eyeballs on it. I was thrilled to be working with Bam Bam, and we got a pay-per-view with the Warriors out of it. Yeah, I mean, it's the Warriors and Norman, I think, against uh, me, Bam Bam, and Kevin. We're going to get there, but before okay. I do, Sorry. I want to talk to you about Jim Barnett. I can't believe we've done a <laughs> podcast this long, and he's never come up. One of these well, I think it did come up because I talked about the loogie in the air. That's right. And Barnett having the talk with me about spitting into the crowd. And I was trying to explain to Jim that it was a loogie that got away on me. And Jim said, no, no spitting, my boy. No, we cannot have talent spitting on the audience. Uh, you open your check and uh, you call Mr. Barnett. And he says, we're very happy with your efforts here, and we decided that we're going to start paying you 1500 a week. Mm -hmm. How about that? A 50% raise, oh, unannounced, just a surprise. Unannounced. It's uh, amazing. At the time, schedule was really rigorous, like 24 days on the road. Now, for some of the guys who lived in Atlanta, they got to spend some time at home, and some of the guys still lived in Charlotte, you know, Arn and Flair and a handful of guys. But for me, I was away from home, and I was living with my parents for those six months. And so I was, I mean, 1500 I was spending maybe 100 day, a day on the road, and then I had to pay my taxes. But you're talking about a guy saving, uh, you know, hundreds of dollars, six, $700 out of, that, uh, out of that check every single week, and that was pretty impressive. Yeah, I, was, I was really happy, really happy with that first run. Flair is going to resign as a booker at the end of February, and not too long after that, you have maybe your first of a few backstage confrontations with Mr. Flair. Uh, you come back after having a, a match and feeling pretty good about it, and then it turns to shock you right in your book because you run into Ric Flair, who had been waiting for you. This is directly from your book. Flair had just resigned as booker, and I guess he decided to take his frustration and anger out on me. What the hell are you doing out there? I didn't know what to say. Hell, I didn't even know what the question meant. And I told Flair so. Quote, I mean, you do all that shit. And just because you think those two, pointing at Ross and Cornette on the TV monitor, put you over, you think you're over. 
don't you understand no one cares about you? I was floored. All I could do was stare blindly as the nature boy continued his condemnation. You'll be in a wheelchair by the time you're 30 and nobody's going to care. Now we know that 1990 is, uh, not a fun time for Ric Flair in his wrestling mm-hmm. career. He's unhappy with the way things are going with his career and Jim Hurd and his contract and his push. Yeah. And there's a lot of pressure of being on the quote unquote booking committee. And some people would say running it, Rick would deny that and being the champ and then sort of being blamed that business is down. But in reality, business is down on the other channel as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, people say it's a cyclical business, but I'm sure it's a lot of pressure for Rick. But this is the guy who helped hire you and who, even at that point, a lot of people were saying is the greatest wrestler of all time. And now he's just taken the wind out of your sails. Looking back, it's Sigmund Freud's theory of transference, you know? Yes. I mean, the example we were taught in high school is the guy's having a bad day, takes it out by yelling at the dog. Yes. In this case, I was just that. You were the dog. I was the dog. Um, Did you know the, that at the time? No, no. I mean, it hurt so bad to the point where, uh, you know, it's funny because when I talked about my ECW promo about turning 30, and I think I likened it to uh, neighbor Tom Daw standing on the <laughs> the Foley fence and robbing every home run that I hit in wiffle ball because I was a pull hitter. And uh, I think my mom or dad suggested I hit it somewhere else other than when Tom Doyle was standing. And even back when I was six or seven years old, that seemed like cheating. Yes. And so I used that as a promo to say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 30. I could ease over that line, but that's not my way. I'm going to hit 30 the same way I hit 29. And when it's yeah, pretty effective promo. And at that time, a lot of people did not know who the, uh, uh, the veteran talking about being in a wheelchair by the time I was 30 was, but uh, I mean, there was something to that. I mean, all the veterans were right about the, the hip replacement and the damage I was doing, but I'm, you know, I'm happy to say, especially when we begin the Foley Weight Loss Challenge, you know, I'm gonna drop some dramatic LBs, but I'm 50, uh, 50, am I 57 or 50, I'll be, I'll be 58 this year. You almost made it twice almost as far. doubling no that, wheelchair. no Come wheelchair. Off. I walk a little slow at airports, you know, get around a little slowly. All things considered, doing pretty good. But when you look up to somebody the way I did to Rick, yeah. whether or not he's got a reason, uh, a, you know, a reason for being angry in general, that hurts. Yes. Yeah, it really hurts. Well, if you know one thing for sure, it's uh, Mick and I know where the good eating is. And it's at Jimmy's Famous Seafood.com. That's right. You don't have to make a road trip to Baltimore. Now you can bring Jimmy's to your front door. I don't know what you're thinking. Boy, that shipping's got to be expensive. Uh-uh. Not with our brand new promo code. That's right. Now you can get free two-day nationwide shipping all at jimmysfamousseafood.com. All you got to do is remember our promo code. You to guess what it is? Come on. You already know. Foley, F-O-L-E-Y, is how you're going to get the best crab cakes you ever had in your life delivered right to your front door. Listen, if you've heard me brag about these crab cakes for years and not tried them yet, what are you waiting for? As long as you order 125 bucks worth of food, you're going to get free shipping with the promo code Foley. Free shipping. Now, as somebody who's been a longtime consumer of Jimmy's, I can tell you, shipping seafood from Baltimore to Alabama, not exactly cheap. They're hooking you up here. They're doing it free. I recommend the Maryland crab cakes. I recommend the crab balls. My man JR loves the soups and the chowders and the oysters. 
My dad loves their signature steaks. He didn't believe me when I said that I had some of the best steaks I'd ever had at Jimmy's, but it's true, man. I'll never forget the first time John slid me over the prime rib and said, just try this. Dude, 10 out of 10. I had a seafood joint. Who knew? And they got incredible desserts. They got gluten-free items and they've got awesome gifts. If you're trying to buy something for somebody in your life, nobody has ever opened a box of Jimmy's and been disappointed. It's never happened. Check it out. They got the famous gift box. They've even got a tailgate bundle just in time for these NFL playoffs. Check them out, man. Jimmy'sFamousSeafood.com. Use our promo code Foley. You'll be glad you did. This is a family-owned business around for more than four decades. You've seen them with Bobby Flay. You've seen them with Guy Fieri. You've seen them on the Ravens games. They're the real deal. They're friends of ours. They're wrestling fans like me and you. And I think you should check them out. Support them. Support a small business. Go ahead, check it out. Jimmy's famous seafood.com. The promo code is Foley. Seriously. The best crab cakes in the world are Jimmy's famous seafood.com. Um, when WCW finally fills the role of lead booker, it's Ole Anderson. Oh, was I longing for Ric Flair back in charge? Because I was really, like I said, maybe I, I you know, Rick took out some frustration on me there, but I was just thrilled with the way I was used. And then when Ole came in, I mean, I just was not an Ole guy. You, uh, you go out of your way to acknowledge to yourself, man, it feels like my days are numbered. Mm-hmm. So I just need to go talk to Ole. And to his credit, you write in your book, Ole talked to me for a long time and did have some noteworthy points. Among them was an analogy to war atrocities. Yeah, he basically says, you know, the first time you see something in war, it's the worst thing you've ever seen. And how as more, uh, you know, casualties are taken on, it becomes less and less of a big deal. And he likens that to the bumps that I'm taking, which is really, you know, it's a it's a good fundamental point, especially about, you know, uh, minimizing the number of times. He wasn't saying that, but in my head, I'm thinking I need to maximize the importance minimize the number max or at least lessen it uh maximize the importance so that they stand out when i do them but you know i think you know only could have seen you know he didn't see not everybody's going to see that in you right and uh i've been wrong on a number of occasions about talent that's turned out to be much bigger than i thought they would be and uh i think only was wrong in this case he would say, I understood Ole's point, but he wasn't quite through yet. You see, kid, the marquee says wrestling. That's what we're going to give them. If people wanted to see your goddamn trampoline act, they'd go buy, see, go buy a ticket Corbett. to see. What's that? Did he say Olga Corbett? Kathy Rigby. Kathy Rigby, even older than, uh, than Olga Corbett. He started to say a bunch of things that started with, back in my day. <laughs> and by the end of our talk, I could pretty much see the writing on the wall. Still, I hung around for a little while because of the money. Listen, I know that, you know, your, your dream was to be a wrestling star and somewhere along the way you decided I'd like to make a living at this and you are. Yeah. So you gotta be hesitant to not just say, well, this isn't what I want. I want to walk away that, Hey, we got this security. We need to at least think through this. Uh, a few weeks later, I had talks with Kevin Sullivan, Jim Cornette and Jim Ross, and then gave only my one month's notice. He didn't exactly beg me to reconsider. Talk me through that. Oh, man. Yeah, you see the writing on the wall, and this is, you know, it's uh, keep your head above water in a competitive atmosphere is really difficult. It feels like some people are stepping on you to keep you down. 
And there's this one moment where Ole's going to come out with his crew of guys. The Gluger was the crew. I don't know if it was a reformed horseman or what it was. Basically going to come out right before one of my matches and tell me it hit the road. Just like, you know, this is not a difference between calling somebody a job guy. and a, I guess it is. Your job guy and enhancement talent. Like, he comes out, he's going to basically just <laughs> exile me. And when he goes, you know, hit the road. And then I say, will I still get paid for today? And I managed to like get a little bit of that for myself. And he's like, yeah, I, I just get out of here. And it's like, okay, I'm going to leave. But in the same way, you know, if you're, if you're being uh, beaten on tremendously, if somebody's not interested in giving you anything, there are ways to keep yourself alive with the facial expressions or, or whatnot. And I felt like I was, you know, desperately trying to get a gasp of, uh, of air while I was being pushed down. And I just thought, you know, I had an idea of where I wanted to be, Conrad, and it wasn't a year later as someone who can't find work anywhere. So to take that dive, you know, to, to deep, deep dive and believe in yourself enough to give your notice and go back on the wild and unsure independent scene, it was a leap of faith. Uh, but I, I've always, I've always appreciated people who have done it since then. Cody, you know, with his oh, yeah. list of guys, the young bucks. I mean, the, the list goes on and on, but the, uh, prevailing logic was take the money, take the money. And at that time, like I said, I'm making 1500, even after taxes and road expenses, I'm saving seven or 800 a week, you know, to have another $35,000 saved in 1990, like if I'd worked another year, it'd be a big deal. But I just had an idea of where I wanted to be, and I couldn't, I didn't think I could get there. If, if you were married with young kids at the time, would you have made a different decision? My, well, I was married and had young kids when I left in 94. That's a good point. So, no, it was the same decision. I'm going to uh, take this leap of faith. And I you know, and I'm going to hope, I'm going to pray that it uh, it works out. But most importantly, I'm going to work really hard and do everything in my power to ensure that it does pay off. Did you have somebody you leaned on for conversations like that when you're going back and forth in your head? I'm not sure what to do. Oh, I know. I'll call so and so. Did you have somebody like that? In your life? Brian Hildebrand. Okay. Brian would probably be the primary guy. Uh, Shane a little bit, you know. Shane, but Shane could get uh, cynical about the business. Uh, How so? Uh, well, when he left, he didn't tend to have a lot of fond feelings for the territory he left. I understand. You know, not talking about Continental, but yeah, you know, when he left else. WWE, yeah, I yeah. Um, what was Brian's advice? <sighs> yeah, I think Brian encouraged me to believe in myself. He may have asked, you know, he knew that uh, 1500 a week coming from Danucci school, you know, yeah. or, you know, we're making $10 uh, a night, you know, working in West Virginia and Ohio. That was a lot of money to give up, but he, no one knew better than Brian, how hard I'd worked. And right. Brian had been one of those guys knocking on the door, you know, when there were six inches of snow on the car saying, you know, cactus time to, <laughs> time to come out of that. Here I am, you know, get out of the snowy car and I'm ready to do. That's a lot of work to put in to just willingly uh, walk away. Walk away. Well, no, to willingly put such, a, you know, a, a, a period on your career. Like right. your career's over a year later. 
and there'd be no independent. I mean, just I knew the independent scene at that time. So when I went back out, I was like, I'd like to get two fifty a night. So now you're talking about uh, even if you're booked every single weekend, you're making one third of what you were. But I thought I can get by in five hundred a week, and uh, and I can learn, and I can make sure that I do everything in my power to have people talking about me when that you know, that show is over. So let me ask, when you make that decision, is your intent at the time, you know, if you could go back to what you were thinking then, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna leave and I'm going to go have fun and I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to build uh, a following and then I'm going to go blank. I'm going to come back here to WCW mm-hmm. and, and prove a point. I'm going to go work for WWF. I'm going to go to Japan. Did you have a goal? Yeah, in well, my goal was either Japan. I mean, Japan, I didn't get to go to March of 91. And I, I worked for All Japan. It was a good tour, but not one that yielded any future bookings. Although I did hear that Baba liked me, but then I accidentally you know, injured Johnny Ace, who was Mrs. Baba's favorite. Yes. And, and then I was walking on eggshells because I thought, oh, my God, if I hurt one other person on this tour. Uh, well, it's not like you made his voice sound like Larry Jairus. <laughs> no, like I didn't, Death. but I did dislocate or fracture his elbow, whatever the case may be. I think one of the biggest things, and I talked about this on the live shows, was when I met my wife. Shortly after I left, I mean, I met Colette within two weeks, I think, of leaving. Wow. Because I met her while I was handing out flyers for my first independent show back. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks into this whirlwind romance, I show her some of the stuff I did with Sullivan. And she just said, you're better than this. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. This is how good I am. And she made me think that I was capable of more. And so therefore, when I was on the independent circuit, I wasn't just trying to emulate what I had done and what had worked to me for whatever degree it worked. I was actively trying to be better. And, uh, you know, that's when I really started uh, watching the All Japan matches, uh, Brody in particular. Funk was more, because Funk was such an amazing baby face in Japan. Yes. Funk was about creating a connection with the audience. Whereas Brody, I saw in Brody, God, everything I wanted to be, but realized I could not be. Then on the other, New Japan had those amazing matches with Dynamite Kid and Satoru Sayama, the original Tiger Mask. I thought, these are the two styles I love. I can't do either of them remotely as well as those two guys, but I can take facets of each, combine them, and it's like everything else, sprinkle in your own ingredients so that you're no longer just a copy but you are creating a hybrid. I mean, I, j- I saw Bill Goldberg in Kansas, and we talked about Bill. I want to be, I want to be a cross between Oakland Raiders defensive lineman John Matuzak and an MMA fighter. And you don't look at that and go, well, he's just Matuzak and an MMA because he's got enough of his own ingredients yes. in there. And so that's what I was attempting to do. And um, I, you know, it was no small feat to increase your stock in the business by leaving TV, right? but I, I was able to do it. And I still had some of those same people on my side, Corny, Sullivan, uh, uh, JR. JR uh, may have gone to WWE. No, he was back, he was back when I, he was there in 91. Yeah. Um, he didn't leave until 93. But I, I it'd be, it would be tempting to say I did it all on my own. I did a lot of it on my own, but I still had some people willing 
and able to help, and they did. What was your conversation like? You know, you said you wrote in your book that you had conversations with Kevin Sullivan and Jim Cornette and Jim Ross all before you gave your notice. Were they encouraging you to bet on yourself? I can't remember. I honestly, I can't remember. I, can't, I wish I knew, but I can't remember. And what it came down to was I believed, even if they had weighed in yes. uh, with different ideas. Uh, I mean, Corny may have said, Cactus, this place changes so many times. Just stick it out. Uh, but at that time, I was like, there's only so many losses you can pick up where you're not allowed to display your character. Yeah. I had no problem losing. You just didn't want to get gobbled up. Yeah, I didn't want to get gobbled up. And it goes back to when I was doing jobs for WWE in the beginning. As soon as I went out there and I felt the slightest hint of recognition among the fans, like, oh, here's that guy. Uh, I recognize him. He's a Mario Mancini. He's an Israel Matia. He's a Frankie Williams. You know, I realized yeah. it was time to move on. Your last show, uh, your last pay-per-view uh, for WCW is Capital Combat, The Road Warriors, and Norman against Cactus Jack Manson, Bam Bam Bigelow, and Kevin Sullivan. Sullivan's working here with some broken fingers. He had been missing all the house shows, but he's here on this one. Uh, and it's a fairly hot way to open the show, according to Dave Meltzer, because the Road Warriors still have a bunch of popularity, even though they're maybe not top draws, but really nobody is at this point. The match itself was fine, but nothing special, with the exception of Manson. The highlight sequence was Manson missing a clothesline and flying over the top rope onto the floor, barely hooking the rope on the way out. Hawk then clotheslined him from the apron to the floor and whipped him into the guardrail. Manson flew over the guardrail and wiped out the front row. Hawk then hit him with the ring steps. Manson did another unique move where he was choking Norman over the top rope and jumped over the top rope and onto the floor while holding the choke on, similar to the move Randy Savage does. The finish would see Hawk pin Sullivan with a clothesline from the top rope. Two and a half stars. Hawk pin Sullivan? Yeah, how about that? You're leaving. Why not beat you? But still... Uh, you go out here and, and put on a standout performance, according to Dave Meltzer. Um, it is kind of surprising in hindsight. You would have thought Hawk would have beat you. Uh, what was it like working with the Road Warriors? Well, it was such a, it was really an honor, right? Yeah. And to be able to get some stuff. When I say get some stuff in, I'm talking about the bumps. The I bumps, took for yeah, that. selling for them, yeah. <laughs> I think that was one of the cases where I, you know, Kevin may have had a talk with me about my uh, need to work on the aggression because I think that stood out a little bit in the match. Uh, but yeah, you're kind of being a tackling dummy here. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And it, of course, being a tackling dummy would mean so much more if I got my, it got some offense in. Yes. And it was not just getting it in, but making it believable, uh, asserting myself out there. But it was, oh man, I'm with the Road Warriors, right? Like, that's a great way to go out. So it was, uh, yeah, it was good. And I saw my buddy, John McNulty, he was living in Maryland at the time. I got to visit that. Vietnam Veterans uh, Memorial. Like it was a good, it was a good time. Yeah, I remember that fondly. Let me ask you because you've brought it up a few times now. When we made the analogy about not being so much of a tackling dummy, being more aggressive. I mean, I know that Jr. would go on TV in 1997 and say that you enjoyed pain. Right. And I'm not suggesting that, yeah. but I am saying, was it because you felt like, much like today, we see maybe some high flying acrobatics and stuff and those guys these days can do some things that nobody else can do. So they want to showcase that right. in their match. Well, 
Was this you wanting to showcase what nobody else could do as well? I think it was, yeah. yeah. I think that was my strong This is suit. your high spot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's my calling card. I'm dancing with the one that brung me, but yes. I have to, you know, work on, I have some things to work on. The character, I've got a, a confidence is a main ingredient, right? Yes. Like, you know what, look, we talked about Taz last week. Yes. Taz lost his mojo. When, what, not just because he was in WWE, but when he started, you know, it, it didn't even look like the same guy. And that's why it was so marked to me when I saw him working with Bigelow in ECW. It was like, he's on fire. Yes. All cylinders. And now he gets in WWE and it's just something's a little off. Not the first night. Right. You know, when people are, you know, when, when you're being dragged down and you're being utilized in a way uh, that's less than you're used to, it's really easy to succumb to people's, those low expectations. And you know, we've talked a lot about wrestling politics on our programs, and, and it feels as if here you're making the decision to move on because it doesn't feel like all is high on you. Mm -hmm. That's easy to see. Yeah. We talked a little bit about Taz last week. The rumor and innuendo is that the person who was the highest on him was Hunter. You buy into that? I don't think Hunter was high on him, but I don't know if Hunter had the stroke at the time. Right. It had to be it had to be multiple people. No right. one person had enough uh enough stroke. Vince but, was gonna do what Vince wanted yeah, to do. But it may be Two or three people, three people in his ear. Three seemed to be the magic number. Yeah. Three seemed to be what it took to me. No, no uh, mathematical evidence right, to prove right, right. it. But it seemed like three people. And it's so, I realized it would have been so easy for th for three people to be in his ear about me. Well, because you had here, you know, Flair sort of lambasting you. But no, I want to say though, Flair, you know, there was two different, uh, I think three occasions in 1990, but I'll tell you what, Rick apologized after two of them, you know, and even in 94, He's very emotional. even in 94, you know, where he kind of browbeat us a little bit over the match that Max and I had with the Nasties. And then listen, I want to make this clear I know I'm jumping ahead to 94. Rick's the, he's Rick Flair yeah. and he's the head of the booking committee. If he's going to make any apology, it doesn't need to be public. He could have pulled me aside. First of all, he didn't need to pull me aside. But he could have easily pulled me aside and said the same thing to me, but he chose to say it in front of everybody. He says, I just want to say that, I don't know if he said, I don't know the verbiage. I was rough on Cactus, I, you know, whatever. He goes, when I got home, the only thing my son and his friends wanted to talk about was that match. And then he said, I was wrong in front of the boys. And so I don't want it to look like Rick was an advocate of mine in a, in a strange way, and maybe not at the top of the card, but Rick was the guy who brought me in. Yeah. You know, and I remember going over Rick's house with Corny uh, when, you know, when everyone lived in Charlotte, like in 91. And Rick showed me around, and I remember Reed and Charlotte playing. They had a nice play set, you know, really. Yeah. They had a top of the line, you know, playhouse. And I was like a welcomed guest at his home. So I, I you know, we have had a checkered past. Yeah. But uh, I think that. Uh, a lot of people go off because yeah. they're feeling upset and, and not a lot of people go out of their way to apologize. Yes. Especially when their roles in life and in wrestling are so uh, very different. different. Yeah. Your last TV matches are a loss to Doug Furness on power hour. And then you team with Dutch Mantel to lose to the rock and roll express on a house show in Hollywood, Florida. There's no shame in losing to Ricky and Robert. 
No, don't it was even sold think of out, going there. Hanging from the rafters. People were literally hanging from the rafters. Brother, you never seen so many people. And you put Norman over it before you move on with your career. What was the high point of this run in WCW? Sting attacking you in the first night? Or is there something nah, else? the Sullivan. Uh, the book stuff? The book stuff. Uh, actually, you know, dropping the elbows on my opponents. Yeah. Uh, and I loved, I loved riding with Corny in the Midnights. Uh, yeah, there was so much to like about it. Um, there was, you know, I was just happy with everything except, you know, um, everything except Ole's vision of me. What was the low point? <sighs> I mean, having to abandon the dream, you yeah. know, like uh, to take a detour. It was just... Uh, I just, you know, I don't think you had to look that hard to find something in me to like. And I think just to cast me off that quickly was uh, unfortunate. What would you learn from it, do you think? Uh, you have to believe in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be your own best advocate. That's why uh, I've said there's a fine line between self-confidence and delusion. And when someone tiptoes over that line, and I did a couple times, it's not always pretty. And it's a fine line. I think I walked it pretty well. But I, uh, I, I believe in yourself. Honestly, I, that's, what I, that's what I took from the whole experience. Matt Godfrey on Twitter wants to know, who didn't you get to wrestle that you wanted to during this run? Well, almost. I didn't wrestle that many people, you know? I mean, I didn't get to wrestle Bobby Eaton until the 91 run. I never did wrestle Rick, you know. Oh, I know I did in WWE, but I never in his WCW run. Um, maybe I wasn't in good enough cardio then, but I think in 91, Rick and I could have had a heck of a match when it were when he came back in 92 or whatever the case was. Um, Bobby Eaton was a big one. Rick was a big one. But there were a lot of guys I did not have a chance to have a chance to wrestle that I would have liked to have. Hey guys, I'm pumped to brag about a brand new sponsor here on the program and is a personal friend of mine for many, many years. I'm talking to you about Camper Max, specializing in max discounted pricing on travel trailers and fifth wheel RVs that can be delivered anywhere in the lower 48. That's right, from your office, your cell phone, or your couch. Click or call and find out how easy it is to start enjoying that RVing lifestyle. Now, how easy is it? Well, the Camper Max discount will fit any budget Offering easy financing with extended terms, it's just too easy thanks to my pal, Rod Wagner. I've been personal friends with Rod for a long, long time, and he is now opening up to the entire lower 48. So if you're here in the United States and you're thinking about buying a travel trailer, you're thinking about buying a fifth wheel RV, or maybe you're thinking of selling yours, visit my buddy Rod at CamperMax.com. That's C-A-M-P-E-R-M-A-X-X.com, CamperMax.com. That's Max with two X's. Or give him a call, 256-320-7033. Either way, let the folks at Camper Max know that Conrad sent you, and they're going to give you that friend-of-a-friend hookup that I've enjoyed for oh so many years. Camper Max is the home of the Max discount. That's CamperMax.com, CamperMAXX.com. By the way, if you're looking to purchase a motorhome, hang in there. My buddy Rod is working on that now. It's all going down at CamperMax.com. Let's get out there. Let's enjoy 2023. This could be one heck of a new year. Thanks to CamperMax.com or 256-320-7033. And let them know that Conrad sent you. Yeah. 
Knob Deep wants to know, what did you learn the most from working with Kevin Sullivan? Did you say Knob Deep? Yeah. That's not his real name. Yes, it is. Okay, I'm calling malarkey on that one. His last name is uh, Raheel. Raheel? Knob Deep Raheel? Yes. Okay. He's uh, he's Wait, Knob in- Deep is like... In- he's an international listener. All right, I'm so... <laughs> No, I mean, we just referenced it earlier. It's a callback, Mick. I'm trying things, okay? Wait, his name is Nob Deep Rahim. Well, it, and his brother Balls Deep? Like, are we talking? Yes. Is, they met at the Jack Shack. I don't know what we're doing anymore. Uh, what did you learn the most from working with Kevin Sullivan during your 1990 run? <laughs> it's NAV. I'm from Alabama, not Knob. Like Knob Creek. So it's not K N O B. No, it's N A V D E B. I'm sorry. My apologies. Our international listener. <laughs> not foreign, damn it. He's international. Okay. What I learned the most from Solomon? Hey, outside the box thinking. Yes. That's the most important thing. Brad Stanton says Was Bam Bam the most agile big man you ever worked with, or was it Vader? Ooh, man. It's a good question. I mean, I put them on par with each other, you know, as far as the agility of the big man. Ian wants to know, uh, how great was Funk's grill? Does Mick still have the cutoff jean jacket? (laughs) Does he know where that sign is? Oh, man. I was telling our mutual friend Casey about my my forays into a southern accent. I was trying to find, you know, discover, you know, trying to figure out who the character was. One of the things I really enjoyed about Ric Flair's 30 for 30 is they have those, a couple of those clips where he's clearly a work in progress. Right. He's the nature boy, but he's not the nature boy. And it's funny to see him copying someone else's promo. Yes. And that's essentially what I was trying to do going back to, you know, Robert Fuller warning me that it was going to be tough. Uh, to be a babyface with a northeastern accent, you know. I mean, mine. Vince Russo and I grew up ten, ten, ten miles away from each other, and uh, one of us sounds like he just got off the bus from you know, subway from Brooklyn, and, and I don't. But I had a couple telltale gives, you know, mall and just that one consonant, a vowel sound rather, vowel sound. Um, but that was enough for me to work on a southern accent, which is just embarrassing looking back on it. Uh, I think it gives Jericho a good run for his money when he did his first promo and he was just god awful. But that's how you get better, you know. Can you do uh, a southern accent now? Not really. Okay. I mean, it's insulting to my southern I'm for brethren. I'll yeah. co sign it. I'm asking I'm, uh, for it. As a no, I'll work on it for next time. Okay. Or we could just find that funk thing. Well, I'm for yeah, it. Yeah, I'm for yeah. it. Yeah. We'll get Grillo on it. I do not have that uh, cut off jean jacket. I wish I had some of those things that I used, especially the pajama top that I wore not only in WCW as a ring jacket, but I wore it as dude love in the loved one movie. Uh, last question. This one comes to us from Conrad in Huntsville. Uh, <laughs> since you were a, a television star now yeah. touring in more than just a, a local regional right. territory, uh, did that improve um, Mrs. Foley's baby's boys dating life? Cause you've told the story before where once you had a prophylactic crumple in your hand. Yeah, it did. And now it feels like, hey, man, we're making more money than ever. We're making towns. We're on TV. It feels as if maybe we're getting a little more attention than we used to. Well, over a two-year period, that number of women on my list jumped from three to nine. Hey, now. Hey, now. Big Slide Blue Chew commercials all over <laughs> this show this week. 
Uh, next week, we're going to be back talking about a pretty fun show. No Way Out 1998. This is the infamous dumpster angle that we're going to discuss in detail. We'll talk about Shawn Michaels not being able to make the event, teaming with Owen and Steve, along with Terry Funk, and the main event in Houston to take on DX, of course, Shawn's mystery replacement, and so much more. Uh, and in the meantime, by the way, if you haven't already, you got to go check out the brand new Folius Pod merch over at foliuspodshirts.com. That's where you'll find the brand new Bang Bang Tee, our king of the deathmatch turnbuckle, the hardcore legend fanny pack with an extender for us big boys. There is? Plus, yeah, baby. Where is this? It's, Can it's, you have one next time I come to town? Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, right now. It may now have been I, delivered to your house. I will check. Right now, I do need an extender, but we're going to begin the Foley Weight Loss Challenge. I, depending on what I weigh in, we'll set our goal, but I'm looking to get under three bills again. And I think I would need to lose about 60 pounds to get there. And maybe then somebody won't have as much trouble finding those phantom balls, phantom balls. Of course, you can also pick up that shirt and Mr. Are you January. implying I have trouble finding the phantom balls? Well, <laughs> I, I need to transition to push phantom balls, so I apologize. Okay. I'm sure they're big ones. I mean, you were thrown off the cell. My goodness. Pick up the Mr. January shirt and the shirt that started it all, the Mr. In Your House tee. It's all available right now at foleyispodshirts.com. If you haven't already, what are you doing? Go like, subscribe, and turn yeah. on notifications for our YouTube. It's Foley on YouTube.com. The show is fun to listen to. It's even more fun to watch. If you've got a question about No Way Out or any of our other shows, we'd love to have your follow and interaction on social media. We're at Foley is Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That's at Foley is Pod. Of course, you can interact with uh, Mick over on Instagram, at Real Mick Foley. And you can also even hear from Mick Foley on Cameo, right? Yes, you can. Cameo.com slash Mick Foley for anything that might be coming up. Valentine's Day on Come the on. horizon. I do a nice job on Valentine's Day. We're going to have a special uh, a special offer that coincides with the uh, 4,500th five-star review. I love that. And that's uh, more than double any other athlete or wrestler on the planet. And then also check uh, at realmcfoley.com for the events. I've got uh, conventions coming up in, um, of course, WrestleCon. I've got... Uh, oh, we got a big live show coming up there. Yeah, too. that's All right. All WrestleCon weekend. If you're going to WrestleMania this year and you're not staying at the Wrestle at the WrestleCon Hotel, what are you doing? That's where all the action is. That's where our live show will be. And, of course, it's where you can get... All your Funko Pops and everything else autographed by Mick at WrestleCon in LA. It's at the Biltmore Hotel this year, man. What a it's beautiful be great. place. The Millennium Biltmore. I'm really looking forward to it. I love being there. There's so much going on. Uh, Noel will be, my daughter Noel will be there. So I'm always excited, obviously, to see um, my little girl. And uh, it's, it's a great way to meet fans from around the world. It really is. It's really incredible how many different people from different countries you see over the course of three or four days. Uh, you got buddies. You know, every, there's just a who's who. Kevin, yes. Kevin Nash and Brett's usually there. And Nature Boy's there. DDP. It's great. You get to meet all uh, oh, some of your favorite stars and Al Snow. It's um it's a win-win situation for everybody. It's everybody. Yeah. Check it out. It's going to be WrestleCon, WrestleMania weekend. There you go. And we'll see you next week right here on Foley is Pod.
Can't believe this is real, but Wu Wings, your very own virtual restaurant concept, is now open and fans can enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with their Uber Eats or Postmates app. Wu Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa, right here in Alabama. Many more locations coming soon. As a virtual restaurant, Woo Wings is looking to partner with existing restaurants in major metro areas. Tell your favorite sports bar or local restaurant you want Woo Wings in your town. And to visit rickflairwings.com for more information on how to become a partner. But if you're in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Huntsville, or Tuscaloosa, hop on your Uber Eats or Postmates app and look for Woo Wings and try the only chicken wings worthy carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion, Woo Wings. Be sure to check out rickflairwings.com to become a partner.